market was expecting an easing of rate hikes over the next several months. Uh, the market was thinking maybe 50, 75 basis points more rate hikes in 2022, maybe some more rate hikes in 23, but then some rate cuts in 2023, specifically the market was pricing in two to three rate cuts for 2023 before that Fed meeting. But the Fed's projections came out and they basically just slapped investors in the face and said, wake up, we are not pivoting anytime soon. What's up, HGI investors, and welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, and always pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke Lango. Luke, how are we doing today? You know, Aaron, we are in the midst of a stock market crash, and I think things get worse before they get better. We've warned subscribers. There's probably a, a steep sell-off right around the corner, so I'm um, bracing for it. But I think the good news is, is that this steep sell-off will likely be a grand finale sell-off of sorts, so... Um, things will get worse, but then I think they're going to get a lot, lot better. So we'll talk about all that over the next hour or so. All right. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing some of the good news in just a few moments. Uh, quick housekeeping. We will be off next week, but back on October 11th with the next installment of the HGI podcast. If this is your first time joining us, Hypergrowth Investing is the weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, we take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations, automation, vertical farming, inflation, the housing market, and more. Nothing is off limits. If you're joining us for the first time, we go up every Wednesday on YouTube. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcast. So make sure to hit like and subscribe to get Hypergrowth Investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator, lifelong learner, and your proxy into the mind that is the Luke Lango. So much to talk about this week, Luke, as you've already stated. So let's rapid fire through as many of these topics as possible. First mm -hmm. up, the Fed. Uh, we got some hawkish comments last week from Fed Chair Jerome Powell. The market has been in a free fall ever since. Um, I mean, I think the big question is why didn't they hike 75 basis points as expected? So why is the market freaking out right now? Right. So, yes, the Fed was expected to hike 75 basis points. They did hike 75 basis points. Nothing surprising there. The surprise came when they released their summary of economic projections. The Fed does that every meeting. Um, that summary of economic projections forecasts things like inflation rate, um, unemployment rate and the Fed funds rate for the next they actually made forecasts in 2025. Um, now, the forecasts that matter, of course, are obviously the more near-term forecasts, the 2022 and 2023 forecasts. The market was expecting an easing of rate hikes over the next several months. Uh, the market was thinking maybe 50, 75 basis points more rate hikes in 2022, maybe some more rate hikes in 23, but then some rate cuts in 2023, specifically the market was pricing in two to three rate cuts for 2023 before that Fed meeting. But the Fed's projections came out and they basically just slapped investors in the face and said, wake up, we are not pivoting anytime soon. We told mm -hmm. you we're not going to pivot and our numbers are going to show you we have no intention of pivoting. They're planning on hiking 125 basis points into the end of the year which implies, mind you, a 75 basis point hike in early November. A week before the midterms, they're going to hike by 75 basis points. Mm -hmm. That's unprecedented. That's never happened before. That's wild. Then another 50 bips in December. And then importantly, they didn't call for any rate cuts in 2023. 
They mm-hmm. said the projections called for more rate hikes in 2023, more and more and more and more and more, and no rate cuts. Rate cuts don't arrive until 2024. So their projections stood in stark contrast to what the market was hoping for. We all mm-hmm. knew the Fed was going to hike 75. The question was, what is the Fed going to do going forward? Are they going to hike 75, 50? Are they going to do rate cuts in 2023? And what their projections said is basically – we have no intention of slowing our fight against inflation until inflation buckles or until something breaks. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't care about breaking the stock market. They don't care about breaking the bond market. They care about breaking the labor market. See, the Fed is hyper-concerned with the real economy and much less concerned with the financial economy. Mm-hmm. So if the stock market dro- – this Fed historically has actually capitulated to 20% sell-offs in the stock market – But inflation has not been a problem like it is today. So the Fed is making it very clear that with inflation being the big problem that it is today, we could care less if stocks drop. So Wall Street, go ahead and throw your fit. Send stocks (laughs) down 5, 10, 15%, 20%, 30%. We don't care. All we care about is the real economy, inflation and labor. Yes, we might capitulate if the labor market starts to deteriorate. But the labor market's not deteriorating. We're at sub 4% unemployment today. We Mm -hmm. are at unemployment levels similar to pre-pandemic unemployment levels. So the labor market is very strong. Jobless claims are continuing to be surprisingly strong. There was a point in time for several months where they were rising and rising and rising, but they've since peaked and come down. You're not seeing the big layoff announcements you saw earlier this year. You saw them from uh, Meta, Netflix, Google, Microsoft. All these companies were announcing layoffs. Now you're not seeing as many announcements on that front uh, today. So the labor market remains very strong. The Fed, from their perspective, that means they can continue to hike rates very aggressively because they're not hurting the one thing they really care about, which is the labor market. Mm-hmm. At the point the labor market breaks, that's when they can capitulate. But um, Or when inflation collapses, they can capitulate. But the Fed is basically telling Wall Street, hey, we might send your stocks down 10, 20, 30 percent because we mean business when we're going to kill inflation. So that's why stocks have been in free fall ever since then. Now, I really underestimated. I thought the market would see kind of through what the Fed is doing here because Mm -hmm. the Fed, there's a lot of tough talk going on, a lot of tough talk. And the Fed's forecast, as a lot of people have pointed out, have been historically horrendous. Mm -hmm. I mean, that same summary of economic projections a year ago called for no rate hikes in 2022, called for you know subsiding inflation to 2%. So they were about as dead wrong in the wrong direction as possible. <laughs> and they've been continually, consistently wrong over the past 12 months. So I don't know why the market is taking this set of forecasts at face value. But what I think the market is learning is just don't fight the Fed at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Just, don't, just don't do it. Like – Yes, the Fed will probably capitulate before their forecasts say they're going to capitulate. Yes, rates will likely not go as high as their guiding rates to go. Yes, bond yields will probably not go as high as their guiding bond yields to go. But don't fight them. Mm -hmm. Just wait until they actually pivot and then get constructive on stocks again. For the past three to six months, investors like myself, natural bulls, have been trying to game the Fed and figure out, okay, they're not really going to go that aggressively. Like eventually they're going to capitulate. So let's buy for that capitulation moment. But I think now Wall Street's just throwing the towel and saying, you know what? We're tired of fighting the Fed. Mm-hmm. Let the Fed hike its rates. Let stocks come down and let's buy the dip once they capitulate. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're seeing in the market right now. The market's really, really processing through that. But at the end of the day, the market, 
well, or the Fed will only capitulate if one, the labor market breaks, or two, inflation actually does decelerate meaningfully. I don't see the labor market breaking anytime soon. So I think what happens is the Fed pivots if inflation decelerates meaningfully, but doesn't pivot until that convincingly happens. Okay. So the course of the Fed depends on the course of inflation. So mm-hmm. what's going on with inflation right now? We're still right. above 8% on the CPI, and that's pretty high. So what does come next? Right. So I think we see uh, – th- this is where the bull thesis comes in. This is mm-hmm. where the, the bullish aspect comes in. So because of the Fed and us not wanting to fight the Fed and the market not wanting to fight the Fed and the fact that that yields are really high and valuations still extended, you're probably due for a short-term crash. Okay. But that short-term crash likely – finds a bottom and turns into a big rally because the Fed's actions are actually working. Mm-hmm. That not just their rate hikes, but their tough talk, the tough talk plus the rate hikes plus the super hawkish projections is scaring the SHIT mm-hmm. out of markets. Look at the bond market. It's in the midst of its worst sell-off ever. Yields have gone from 1% to 4%. That's insane. That's absurd. That market is breaking. The stock market, every index is now in a bear market, down more than 20%. It looks like we're going to go down 30%. So the stock market is breaking. Look at oil. Oil prices are absolutely collapsing. Remember when we were at 120, <laughs> we were on this show and we yep. called short yep. oil? And we were mm-hmm. like, this is a really bold call. We're a little nervous about it, but we really think it's going to happen because of the recession. And then mm-hmm. it dropped to 190 uh, 80. Now we're below 80. We're at $78 a barrel. Like oil is just tanking and tanking and tanking and tanking. And then you, you look at the, the Russian Ukraine situation. Ukraine is clearly gaining a lot of ground. Clearly the tide of the war has turned in their favor. Russia is doing some really desperate things. Specifically Putin is doing some really desperate things. And the recent mobilization has actually caused a lot of riots in Russia to the point where Putin is probably losing a lot of public support. There mm-hmm. is trouble city in Russia right now, which is good for the oil markets because it probably means that war is closer to the end than it is the beginning. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of pieces here saying oil is going to keep dropping and it has crashed. That's important because oil is an input cost for essentially everything. That mm-hmm. means if oil goes down, gas prices go down. Your heating mm-hmm. bill goes down. Electricity bill goes down. Even your food prices go down because how does food get to your grocery store? Mm-hmm. It gets put in the back of a truck that runs on gasoline. If oil mm-hmm. goes down, gas prices go down. The cost of transportation of your food goes down. Your food prices go down. So oil is a very important input cost for a lot of things. If it continues to collapse, you're going to get massive disinflation across a lot of line items. Now let's look at the housing market. The Fed has crushed the housing market. Mm-hmm. Absolutely crushed it. We were of the opinion that the market was going to normalize and not crash. Well, Mm -hmm. now it looks like I still don't think we crash. I still think we're going to normalize. But prices are definitely going to fall and in a pretty significant way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pretty much every data point that we've seen so far has shown a peak in housing and rents in July, August period. The most recent data point, the the CoreLogic 20-city index, showed that home prices dropped 0.4% month over month in July 2022. That is their first drop since 2012 and their biggest drop on record. That even during 2008, during that, 2006, 2008, during that housing market crash, home prices never dropped as much as they dropped in July 2022. So Mm -hmm. that market is breaking. Shelter costs are a huge component of your cost, your mortgage bill. Now, if you're renting, 
asking rents also dropped. We talked about this last week. Mm-hmm. Redfin reported yep. that asking rents dropped in August for the first time, and I think it was three years or something like that. So asking rents are now dropping. Mortgage rates are up at 7%. Okay, That means mm-hmm. the housing market is going to continue to weaken. Affordability is at all-time lows. Rents are going to follow suit, especially because we're reading a lot of reports saying that a lot of new construction is actually coming online. That you know, 2020, we had a lull in construction. But in 2021, once all this money came through the door and the economy normalized, construction re-accelerated. So apartment construction significantly re-accelerated, especially since people were doing a lot of work from home. So a lot of the commercial real estate converted into residential real estate. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff is now coming online at the end of this year into 2023. So you're getting a drop-off in demand, a drop-off in affordability at the same time. You're probably going to get a brand new wave of supply. Rents mm-hmm. are going to crash as well. So across the board, Aaron, a massive disinflationary wave is building. And that disinflationary wave is really going to help the Fed. If we didn't have that wave, the Fed would not capitulate. They would go 75, 75, 75, 75. And mm-hmm. they would be militaristic about the rate hikes to a point where the stock market would crash 50 or 60%. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case that we have today. The mm-hmm. case that we have today is the Fed is getting a massive assist from just the natural forces of the economy, that there is a mm-hmm. huge disinflationary wave building. So we're at 8% CPI today. I think we get down to 6% by the end of the year, and then 3 or 4% by early next year, and then 2% by the summer of 2023. If that does happen, and if the Fed sticks with their target, then the Fed funds rate is going to be above the inflation rate by early 2023. That's a point at which I think the Fed can capitulate. That's mm-hmm. a point at which if I think the Fed can be like, all right, you know what? We don't need to keep our foot on the pedal anymore. Clearly, inflation is dying. So let's not destroy the economy. We've already mm-hmm. done some damage. Let's let's chill out a little bit. So I think the inflation narrative is supportive of a Fed pivot over the next six months. Mm-hmm. Does that mean Fed pivot now? Clearly not. Does that mean Fed pivot in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks? No. <laughs> But it does mean Fed pivot within the next three to six months. And Mm -hmm. as soon as we get that Fed pivot, like I said, everyone's throwing in the towel now. But because they're throwing in the towel now, that sets us up for a massive rally because valuations are depressed once the Fed pivots. We need inflation Mm -hmm. to stabilize. We need yields to stabilize. And we need the Fed to stabilize. Once all three stabilize, you're going to get a massive huge, I mean, humongous rip your face off rally in the stock market because valuations are so depressed. Mm-hmm. But we first need to have those three things happen. And only one of them is happening right now. Inflation is stabilizing. Yields mm-hmm. are going wild. The Fed remains hawkish as ever. So mm-hmm. we have to have those other two factors show up to the party in order for the stock market to start partying again. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and again, your words, you're seeing, again, this massive disinflationary wave building, right. um, which, again, to your thesis, it will subsequently force the Fed to pivot sooner than their forecasts call for, which will in turn lead to this big market rally. Um, but I've also been reading some of your research notes recently, and you seem to have turned a little bearish in the short term. So right. with all of these things on the horizon, why are we being bearish right now? Right, right. Yeah, great point. So we need a final massive capitulation sell-off in order for these good things to happen. That's just okay. kind of like the plain and simple truth. There's a couple of reasons for that is, one, the Fed is not going to pivot until things start breaking, right? That mm-hmm. They want to kill inflation, and they're going to keep killing inflation. And so long as things don't break, it's kind of like a bull in a china shop. The bull is going to keep going unless it starts you know, wiggling like crazy and then a bunch of china breaks. 
at mm-hmm. that point in time, the bull's like, oh, like maybe it second guesses what it's doing there. But if it just keeps walking down the china shop, not breaking any glasses, not breaking mm-hmm. any china, it's going to keep walking down the china shop. So that's yeah. what the Fed is right now. They're the, they're the proverbial bull in a china shop. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really broken any glasses yet. The stock market is kind of breaking. The bond market is kind of breaking. The housing market is kind of breaking. The commodity markets are kind of breaking. Like Everything is like on the edge. These cups are on the edge, but they haven't fallen onto the floor and shattered yet. Mm-hmm. One more massive sell-off in the bond market, in the stock market, allowing more time for housing prices to really come down, allowing more time for oil prices to really come down. A couple more weeks of what we're doing right now, and these cups will start to fall onto the floor and shatter. Mm-hmm. Stock market down 20%, scary. Stock market down 30%, real panic sets in, especially if we get that sort of massive rapid sell-off. So interestingly mm-hmm. enough, we did some analysis the market doesn't bottom. Bear markets don't bottom until you get some sort of massive grand finale sell-off. And typically mm-hmm. that's quantified by stocks dropping about 20% in 15 days. Mm-hmm. We didn't bottom in November 2002 until we dropped about 20% in 15 days. We didn't mm-hmm. bottom in March 2009 until we dropped about 20% in 15 days. We didn't bottom in March 2020 until we dropped about 20% in 15 days. So mm-hmm. this 20% in 15 days metric, that's kind of the the markings of the final sell-off of a bear market. Because mm-hmm. you need that sort of deep capitulation. Everybody throws in the towel. Everybody's giving up hope. Even the bulls are like, oh, my God. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> and that's the point. That's the point at which we bottom. So we need to get mm-hmm. there. We're not there yet. Right now, we're about 12% off the trailing 15-day high in the S&P 500. Okay. That's as big of a sell-off as we've seen in all 2022. We've mm-hmm. been falling all 2022, but the sell-offs have never been really that sharp, historically speaking. The max sell-offs are where we are today and in June 2022. We were mm-hmm. at both times, we were about 12% off the trailing 15 day high. So we haven't yet had that 20% capitulation sell off in 15 days. But if we keep this up mm-hmm. and we drop to 3,400, which is a number, a number a lot of people are talking about, we drop to 3,400, 3,200, 3, we get into those levels in the next month, then mm-hmm. you are looking at a 20% drop in 15 days. That would be historically consistent with a grand finale sell off. Real panic will set in, and that will feel like a China just fell off the cliff and broke on the floor. <laughs> if the bond market keeps doing what it's doing, if we uh-huh. see the 10-year go to 4142, I mean, we're already seeing currency destabilization across the globe, and a lot of that is because of the bond market. Mm-hmm. If we see that continue, you're going to see a lot of panic set in from central banks and from governments and from, from regulators. You're going to see panic set in on that front. If housing prices continue to decline in August and September and October the way they did in July, Mm -hmm. then you're going to start seeing the housing market come to a real standstill. Nobody's going to want to sell their homes. Who is going to want to sell their home? So a lot of people bought their homes over the past decade, Mm -hmm. two decades. That means they got mortgage rates of three, four, five percent. Who's going to want to sell a home at the mortgage rate they have at three, four, five percent to go and buy a home with a mortgage rate for seven, eight percent? Right. If this housing market, especially if their home prices are dropping, what they just sold it for is probably a discount. They have to go into the market and it's a real tough market. So I don't think that the housing market can really sustain itself at this current trajectory. So the housing market is going to start to feel like it's about to fall and hit the floor. Basically, what I'm saying is that one more short term crash, mm-hmm. really steep, really fast, really furious, mm-hmm. could break enough China in this China shop to get the bull to say, 
O S H I T. <laughs> Maybe I should slow down. Uh-huh. Maybe we should not keep doing what, what we're doing. So mm-hmm. if we do get that, mm-hmm. then I think that we could have a very, very strong turnaround from a Fed pivot in the November, December period. That I do believe that if the inflation report in October is much softer than expected, which it should be, look at home prices, look at oil, there is no way that headline inflation number is not much, much lower than the uh, September number. So mm-hmm. if, if that happens, if stocks keep crashing, if yields keep rising, if the housing data remains weak, if the broader economic data turns much weaker, then you're going to have a Fed in November, a week before midterms, that says, Okay, we're still going. They're still going to hike seventy five, mm-hmm. but they're going to change their mood, their rhetoric, their forecast, as opposed to rah 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 rah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be more. Well, we're going to keep up the fight, but you know, we notice what's going on. We're aware mm-hmm. of those risks, so we'll keep them in mind. Um, and that slight pivot could be enough to stabilize stocks until we get a real pivot, maybe in early 23, in which case we get a rip roaring rally. I think 2023 is going to be a great year for stocks. But another reason we need stocks to go lower in the short term is that with a 10-year yield at 4%, that is simply um, – that's too high for the current valuations in the stock market. So even after the recent decline, the S&P 500 is still trading at 16 times forward earnings. Um, that means that the equity risk premium, so the spread between the earnings yield – and the forward earnings yield and the 10-year treasury yield is about 170 basis points right now. Mm-hmm. That's no bueno. That's too low. Okay. Mm-hmm. Over the past 25 years, the average has been about 200, 210, 220 basis points. And when yields are where they are right now, which is between that 3% to 4% range, normally the spread's about 300 basis points. We're at 170. So we need 130 more basis points of risk premia to get the market to a fair valuation level, historically speaking. That risk premia can either come out of yields, meaning yields got to go down 130 basis points, or they can come out of PE multiple, which means the earnings yield has to go up 130 basis points and the PE multiple has to come down. So by our numbers, the with yields at 4%, 10 year at 4%, a fair PE multiple for the stock market is about 14 to 15 times. We're still at 16 times today, so we need to go lower on the P multiple, so long as yields stay higher. Not to mention that forward earnings multiple is on 2023 earnings estimates, which were at 250 and have now come down to 240 and will mm-hmm. likely continue to trend lower. So we're really at like maybe 17, 17 and a half times forward earnings, meaning the multiple has to go down significantly to that 14, 15 range, which we consider fair value for yields at 4%. Now, the flip side of that coin is that yields probably break at some point. And they break mm-hmm. when the Fed capitulates. So as soon as yields break and yields come down to 3%, 2%, then the multiple can go up to 18, 19 times. And that's when you get that stock market rally. So long story short, like I said, we're waiting for inflation stabilization, yield stabilization, mm-hmm. and Fed policy stabilization. Right now, we're only getting one of those. So stocks continue to go lower. We think mm-hmm. the next two show up to the party over the next two to three months. And as they do, stocks stabilize and start to begin a generational turnaround in 2023, in which we think stocks can rally about 50% and certain mm-hmm. growth stocks can rally a lot more. So short-term bearish, but long-term foaming at the mouth. <laughs> okay. So we're looking at that steep market crash, followed by Fed capitulation, yield stabilization, and a subsequent, you know, rip your face off rally. When is that going to come? 
Yeah, so I think that that big rally probably is reserved for early 2023. Okay. I think we're kind of in this period in the market right now. There was a period in the market from November back in the 2008 crash, 2008-2009, from November 2008 to March 2009. We got this big sell-off post Lehman. You know, the Lehman bankruptcy and then everybody, the, the whole wave of uh, bailouts and bankruptcies on Wall Street and the great financial crisis really kind of took over. We had that massive sell-off. Then mm-hmm. there was a period from November 2008, December 2008, January 2009, February 2009, into early March 2009, where the market tried to stabilize, but it dropped about 10 to 15%. Mm-hmm. Now, during that time frame, though, certain growth stocks like an Amazon or a Netflix or a Salesforce actually rallied 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80% during that time frame. Mm-hmm. I think we are one big sell-off away from that era in this bear market. Mm-hmm. I think if we drop another 10 to 15%. We get down to that 3,200 level on the S&P 500. That will be a moment at which we enter the November 2008 analog. Okay. We'll have that capitulation sell off and then stocks Mm -hmm. will sort of be range bound, not really knowing where to go, but Mm -hmm. the bias will be lower because the bias going in was very negative. So yeah. During that time, we the, the stocks kind of tread water, but ultimately go a little bit lower into early 2023. And then the Fed finally and officially capitulates. They pivot. We get a lot more. Um, we had to get a pause in rate hikes or some rate cuts. Yields come down, and I think stocks then soar throughout 2023 in the second, third, and fourth quarters of 2023. So if you're looking for a market bottom, I'm feeling a market bottom uh, in the first quarter of 2023, but I believe those levels will be not lower than where we end the year in 2022. Having said all that, if you're looking for a growth stock bottom, I think that is, that may have already happened actually for a lot of growth stocks that the Dow has breached new lows for 2022. The S and P 500 has made new cycle lows. The NASDAQ has made new cycle lows, but a lot of growth stocks haven't. In mm-hmm. fact, our, our top 10 portfolio in our, in our uh, mainstay research product is still up more than 20% from its June lows. So mm-hmm. everything else is making new lows right now. But the really washed out growth stocks, a lot of them are not. They're still up 10, 15, 20% from their June lows. So it does feel like we're entering that November 2008 period from November 2008 to March 2009, where the markets go lower, mm-hmm. but growth stocks stabilize, base, and then soar. So mm-hmm. if I'm an investor, what I'm doing right now is I'm playing the macros. Uh, short oil, I think, remains very strong. Um, <clears throat> And, and then short semis is another one that, that I really like. And then what I'm also doing is I'm just hunkering down and grow stocks because mm-hmm. those like they've been completely washed out. They've been mm-hmm. eviscerated. They've been priced for a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> now that we're in the final innings of this sell-off, those stocks are showing much more resilience than the rest of the market. And I think they continue to show resilience and will rebound before the rest of the market does. So that's where I think we are. When is the timing for all this? I think growth stocks either have already bottomed or are bottomed very soon. The market probably still has another three to six months before it bottoms. But ultimately, 2023 will be a great year for both the stock market and growth stocks. It's just when that turnaround arrives. Growth stocks Mm -hmm. earlier, stock market later, probably all happens in the next six months. And it levels not too far below where we are today. Like I said, I think the S&P 500 at an index level can drop another 10 to 15%. That'll put us into uh, what is consistently or consistent with 
bear market drawdowns of about 33%. So I think we can do, we will do that in the S&P. I think growth stocks are already pretty much wiped out. They may have already bottomed or they may retest those lows, but I don't think they go another 20% lower from here. I think they're pretty much washed out and that their rally is not getting started, but basing, which will then allow them to get into a big rally over the next three to six months. Okay. <laughs> Crazy market backdrop here. Right. Um, it sounds like the end is near though. So that's good news. So mm -hmm. let's talk quickly about the stocks that we should be buying to play this market comeback and the ones that we should kind of be avoiding over the next few months. Right. Um, on the avoid front, you've, mm -hmm. again, you've already kind of talked about it. You've accurately called massive crash in oil this year, the huge drop mm -hmm. in semi stocks and a continued decline in cannabis stocks. Are you still bearish on all these stocks over the next few months? Yeah, absolutely. Entirely, entirely. So um, on the oil front, we talked about it. Economic demand destruction is not good for oil. I think the Russia-Ukraine situation is progressing in a manner that is also not good for oil. Um, and I think that the fact that the Saudis have tried to cut production and it's not worked at all is very bearish. Strong dollar, not good for oil. So I think there are a lot of things working against oil right now. We have accurately called the decline from 120 to below 80. And I think this thing continues to sputter lower, especially as recession fears really accelerate. Remember, we like to draw the analogy when we talked about the 2022 um, crash in oil, we like to draw the analogy to 2008 when oil mm -hmm. had this massive bull rally and then just collapsed. Well, when the stock market sell-off accelerated in 2008 with the Lehman um, uh, bankruptcy and things got really ugly in the third quarter of 2008, that is when the oil crash also accelerated. It's not like oil was immune from that. It was caught up in that. It was mm -hmm. a high beta play on that, if anything. So I think if we do get what I'm expecting, a sharp short-term pullback in equities, that should result in an equally sharp short-term pullback in oil. I think we go to 70. I'm maintaining call $65 oil within the next two months. I think that's where we go. So I would continue to remain short oil for the time being. Um, the second one, semiconductors. Yeah, don't like the space at all right now. They have an inventory <laughs> glut issue against mm -hmm. the backdrop of slowing demand. And that's what they do. We've talked about it before. Cyclical, yeah. cyclical, cyclical. This is a cyclical yeah. industry. Mm -hmm. And right now, it is going through a down cycle. When it goes through a down cycle, you stay away from those until the music starts playing and then you get back into them. Again, we think within three to six months, a great buying opportunity will form in semiconductor stocks, but not right now. They're mm -hmm. going to keep going lower for the short term. So I would stay short semis or i would sell semis i would just get out of semis i don't think they're great for the next three to six months and then eventually you're gonna get a great buying opportunity capitalize on that generational loads you'll ride a new up cycle to new highs so mm -hmm. uh, i like the setup there both from a short-term short perspective and a medium-term long perspective i like what's happening with semis and then cannabis they're just they're <laughs> frankly and I, I i hate to say this about any group of stocks but they're just loser stocks mm -hmm. um don't touch cannabis stocks. There is no profitability in the sector. Eventually, somebody will find profitability that is not now, unless you have some insider scoop or <laughs> some high conviction about this is the company that's going to win the cannabis race. I don't have that, and I don't think it's really possible to have that considering how new it is and how commoditized the product offerings are. So I would just stay away from cannabis stocks for now. So yes, I we've been short um, oil, semis, cannabis, I would stay short all three of those over the next few months. Okay. And on the bullish front, you've been bullish on your big three, climate mm -hmm. tech, space, and robotics. Mm -hmm. Still bullish there? 
Absolutely still bullish there. Yeah, I, I think climate tech is really picking up a lot of steam. We're seeing a lot of cool innovations there. Uh, the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture yesterday just announced $2.8 billion of funding into climate smart agriculture technology. So technology mm-hmm. that reduce methane emissions, improve soil quality, things like that. So that, you know, that's on top of the $400 billion climate bill that uh, the U.S. government just passed. Um, it's on top of all the energy storage deployments we're seeing out in Europe. It's on top of, of all the hydrogen investment that we're seeing in America and in Europe and in Asia. Um, so there's just a lot of legislative momentum for climate technology right now. Uh, we follow the VC markets very closely. VC funding has dried up for a lot of sectors. The one place it has not dried up is climate technology. Climate tech mm-hmm. remains red hot. People are still investing uh, hand over fist in that area. So I do, you know, the the, the coupling of hydrogen wind, solar, energy storage systems, electric vehicles, mm-hmm. that whole arena we remain very bullish on for the next several years. When you talk about EVs and ESS, they're, they're lithium, uh, most of them are lithium ion battery uh, based. So a collapse in lithium prices should help them and lithium prices should head lower if we do get more of a recession feel in the global macro environment. So that actually helps those stocks. So very much still bullish on climate tech. Looking over at robotics, um, very bullish on what's going on there. Very, very, very bullish. Um, we're seeing a lot of deployments of robots in various fields. Most recently, we just saw a video from, what was the firm's name? I think I wrote it down somewhere. Maybe it was advanced.farms. Okay. I don't know. I saw the video. It was fantastically sure. cool. It was this robotic apple harvester. So it was this this big robotic mm-hmm. machine that would go down the rows of, of <clears throat> apple trees and just mm-hmm. blah, 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 like auto pick them. It did like 30 yeah. apples in a minute. Mm-hmm. And so boom, 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 and then it would basically harvest the whole field super quickly. That is a an example of how automation is helping improve productivity. Mm-hmm. At this time, when productivity needs to increase, how do you decrease inflation? You increase productivity. If you increase output per unit of labor on the same cost per unit of labor, then you uh, improve the inflation situation and you reduce labor costs. So mm-hmm. I think that is you – know, we're seeing that happen. Um, I came across this funny post on Twitter, which was uh, – I don't know if it was serious or not, but I there's some merit to it. And it talked <laughs> about um, – how a student is the student self self reported this that he or she is using open AI mm-hmm. to write their school papers their yeah, essay I've, yeah I've seen <laughs> yeah you've probably seen stuff like that I've and, seen I've seen things like that yeah yeah AI yeah, is and, becoming much more prevalent in a lot of the things that I use yeah exactly yeah and then so yeah in, in our in our products we use yeah. Dolly the AI mm-hmm. yeah. uh, illustrator. Mm-hmm. We use that. So we're seeing AI being used in content creation, mm-hmm. a lot of AI powered content creation. And our new report came out, I believe it was a few weeks ago, saying that 90% of all digital content, online content, the content you consume on your phone, on your computer, on your whatever it may be, on your TV, that is going to be produced by AI. 90% of that content is going to be produced by AI mm-hmm. by 2026. So that that that's wild when you think about it but it's also very believable when you think about how much we're already using ai to create content students mm-hmm. writing their papers yep. i do use it for an ai illustrator i'm sure you use it for a lot of things so there yep. is a lot of ai driven content creation already happening the fact that 90 percent of it will be ai driven content creation by 2026 
totally believable. And that's an example of robotics automation. So we remain very bullish on that trend. Mm -hmm. It feels like that's going to be a very, very important investment theme of the 2020s. And then third, we have space. Big mm -hmm. news yesterday. The, yeah, did you see the thing yesterday where NASA's yeah. NASA shot a rocket up into space and yep. moved an asteroid off course? Size of, size of a refrigerator hitting a uh, uh, asteroid the size of a, the pyramids. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just crazy. I, yeah. I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter these days because I get some good insights there. But anyways, I saw this one Twitter post. It's like, NASA just hit, hit an asteroid, you know. Yep. 14,000 miles away from earth and I can barely hit a golf ball. It's sitting <laughs> back on yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's wildly impressive what they can do, but that, that is the two things, two implications from that mm -hmm. one. Wow. On the technology front. Yes. That's how far the technology has come. Space mm -hmm. technology that mm -hmm. we can, we can hit asteroids that far away, moving that fast and actually alter their course with a refrigerator sized rocket yeah. hitting a pyramid sized asteroid. Yep. Wow. The technology is just wow. Number two, that's a real value add application. I know a lot of people are like, an asteroid's never going to hit Earth, but it really is an existential crisis. Like, yeah, yeah the odds of it happening are super small. Mm -hmm. But if it does happen, we're all screwed. So <laughs> we need to have that technology. Yes. We need to have it. And that is just a, a microcosm of the kind of things you don't think about every day that we could do in space. Outer mm -hmm. space solar energy generation is, is a totally entire uh, way to solve the energy crisis today. I think that's a huge investment um, mm -hmm. opportunity for, for early stage investors. Um, I think this whole thing about using, creating an entirely new vertical of data in space, whether it's mm -hmm. from asset tracking or weather monitoring or uh, geopolitical event monitoring, like the war in Russia, the war mm -hmm. in Ukraine, um, that is a whole new vertical of data can be created by sending satellites up into space to observe the earth from outer space. So mm -hmm. there are just so many things that can happen in space that we're not thinking about every single day. And I think investors are going to start realizing that more and more in 2023, especially if the macroeconomic tide turns. So mm -hmm. again, I remain very bullish on space stocks. So mm -hmm. to answer your, your question in short, Aaron, yeah. big three, climate tech, robotics, mm -hmm. space, I think those are going to be the three best performing sectors of 2023. I am as bullish today as I've ever been on them. Totally, <laughs> totally, totally full in with those stocks. Um, before we get into some of your individual stocks, I actually had a question, something that popped up in my feed sure. um, and going tying to our clean tech, specifically EVs. Uh, I believe it's a, it's a French company. It's called Transport One. They're doing uh, EV conversions. So they're taking traditional gas cars, taking out the engine, putting yeah. in electric vehicle. Uh, is that, I have two questions. One, uh, is this a sector that we should be, you know, starting to pay attention to? And B, if it is, uh, is this something that could disrupt the EV industry where the cost of entry is much lower than buying a new EV uh, and you can be done in as little as four hours? Yeah, that I think that's a fascinating technology and a fascinating application I don't think that it is at the level – at one point in time in the future, mm -hmm. it could definitely be at the level of being good enough to replace a new EV. But mm -hmm. the specs on that tech right now, based on what I know, you might know more than me because I mm -hmm. am not an expert on, on the EV, the changing of gas to EV mm -hmm. on the spot. Uh, the specs on that are the ranges aren't as long. The recharge yes. times are longer. Mm -hmm. that, 
it's simply not good enough to really be a like a, a truly usable vehicle. Like mm-hmm. the EVs are coming out with now have the same range as your gas car. Mm-hmm. They can recharge very quickly. Like they are very mass usable electric vehicles. So mm-hmm. until the technology for EV transition stuff, I'm going to call it EV transition stuff. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until that technology gets to a point where those vehicles have 300 plus miles of range, 350 plus miles of range to recharge very quickly. Until we get to that point, I don't think that technology is a threat to electric, like new electric vehicle makers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also worth noting that if, even if that technology were ready today, um, mm-hmm. it would dramatically alter the first round of EV sales, mm-hmm. but not subsequent round of EV sales, mm-hmm. right? Like, let's yeah. say I own a gas-powered car. Um, mm-hmm. I transition it to an EV today, 2022. Mm-hmm. My car, let's say it's five years old. By yeah. 2027, it's going to be 10 years old. I'm probably going to need a new car. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to just transition that one with a new battery, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to yeah. go and buy a new, Get a new one. Yeah. So like the, that technology will only impact the first round of EV sales. Mm-hmm. So that, and that's kind of the catch 22 of the EV transition stuff and why I'm, I'm not a huge expert in it and why I haven't dedicated a lot of resources and time to it is it's not ready today to replace new electric vehicle sales mm-hmm. and by the time it is ready most people will probably already have evs and so mm-hmm. why would i use that technology anyways mm-hmm. uh so it, I, I don't know where it exists in the, mm-hmm. in the timeline or how big it can be but it does go along the lines like anything you can do to lower the cost of electric vehicle for the consumer mm-hmm. is a boost to adoption neo yeah. is pioneering the battery swap stuff and that mm-hmm. is huge in china China, like all their, not all of them, but a lot of electric vehicles are battery swap vehicles. Mm-hmm. Like you basically just eliminate the cost of the battery for the electric vehicle and just swap them in and out as opposed to recharging them. I mean, that is super cool. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of innovations are coming to the forefront to reduce costs uh, for electric vehicles to a point where it is going to be inevitable that EVs are significantly cheaper than gas powered cars within the mm-hmm. next year. And when that happens, it's floodgates opening for EV adoption. Floodgates have already been opened, right? People yeah. Love EVs. But um, I, I'm really excited about the cost decline curves there and what is mm-hmm. possible in terms of how cheap an EV can get by 2025. I really mm-hmm. think by 2025, we will have $15,000, $10,000 electric vehicles in the marketplace. Awesome. Uh, looking into your some of your individual stock check-ins, you know, we've talked about SoFi, Neo, Open Door on the show before. Uh, mm-hmm. All three are getting crushed right now. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, what's your advice to investors right now? Okay, so let's go through those three. Um, open Door, Neo, SoFi. Let's start with Open Door. Uh, I love Open Door long-term. I think I buy into the future, but it is navigating through and you know, I, I have a lot of pity for the execs over there. The yeah. <laughs> They're navigating through the most confusing and volatile housing market ever. Mm-hmm. 2008 was a worse housing market, but not, it was, it started declining and it just declined. Like it was mm-hmm. pretty, if your model said decline, it was declining. It, it wasn't that hard to forecast. It was going to decline. We're in this weird market. Like today, new home sales just reported and they smashed expectations and jumped month <laughs> over month. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, what? Like yeah. home sales are supposed to be crashing. Home prices are falling, but then mm-hmm. new home sales just jumped. Like at the first sign there was a, a housing price decline, new mm-hmm. buyers jumped in despite mortgage rates jumping to 7%. Yet affordability is mm-hmm. at all-time lows, yet the uh, housing inventory is at all-time lows. Month supply – 
there are so many conflicting signals in this housing market right now. Mm-hmm. So many conflicting signals that to be a company that buys homes in this market, sits on them, and then sells them in 90 days for hopefully a profit, that has got to be the hardest single business <laughs> at this point in time in the world. Mm-hmm. That's why the stock's been crushed. Mm-hmm. Here's the positive side. If they make it through this, and they will, mm-hmm. once they make it through this, they will prove beyond any reasonable doubt the viability of their buying business model and their pricing algorithms. Mm-hmm. That if they can survive this weird housing market of declining prices where they're actually – recent data came out and showed that they're actually selling homes for – less than they bought them. So mm-hmm. if they can do that and mm-hmm. still post positive gross profit because of that 5% commission fee, you have to remember on every one of their transactions, they take a 5% commission fee. So unless they are selling homes for 5% less than what they bought them, mm-hmm. they're going to have positive gross profits. Yeah. Homes don't decline 5% in 90 days. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Home prices are slow moving. Mm-hmm. Kate Schiller, 20 price index, down 0.4% month over month in July. The sharpest decline on record. Sharpest decline on record, minus 0.4% over 30 days. That means home prices over a 90-day stretch are not going to decline more than 1% to 2%, 2% at the very most. Let's say the worst case scenario happens, 2% decline, 90 days, 5% commission, 5 minus 2 is 3, that's 3% gross profit. So open door should be able to maintain positive gross margins in this turbulent time. Granted, that gross profit base might not be large enough to offset their aggressive OPEX spending, so they probably will have negative EBITDA. But Mm -hmm. still, maintaining positive gross profits in this market at a small scale, they only have 4 or 5% market share in their established markets and less than 1% to 2% market share uh, nationally. Mm -hmm. That means that... They have great pricing algorithms, but it also means that in 10 years, when the next housing crash arise, uh, arrives, they're going to have significantly more scale. As opposed mm-hmm. to 4 to 5% established markets, they're probably 10 to 15% established markets. Mm-hmm. As opposed to 1% to 2% nationally, they're probably 3 to 5% nationally. Mm-hmm. That means that if that next housing crash happens in 2030, 2032, 2033, and the same thing happens, home prices decline 2% over 90 days, they're getting the 5% commission minus 2, they have 3% gross profits – that gross profit base will be so big because their, their scale is so much larger, it's going to be more than enough to offset the OPEX base, and they're going to be hugely EBITDA positive. So I think right now, Open Door is in a prove-it moment. And the mm-hmm. market, because it's super fearful and super negative right now, is not believing in Open Door. But Open Door has an opportunity to prove its business model works in mm-hmm. the worst of times for the housing market. And if they do successfully prove that, this is a stock that could be one of the biggest winners in any year ever mm-hmm. in 2023 and in 2024 as the housing market normalizes and stabilizes. And as we get back into normal times for homes, which is they go up in value. So I think that Open Door is do not expect anything short term from it. Mm-hmm. You're, that's a stock you're going to have to wait for a Fed capitulation okay. for it to start really working again. But once that happens, and if it happens on the heels of open door proving its business model can work even in this market, then mm-hmm. that's a stock that goes from three to six to nine to 12 to 20 to 30 to 40 in a matter of two years, honestly. Mm-hmm. So 
multi-year investors buy your buy the dip and hold your nose mm-hmm. if you're looking for the best entry point it probably goes low before it goes higher so you have time to wait okay. that's my view on open door but i long term mm-hmm. still very 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 bullish on that stock and believe this crisis is actually an opportunity for a major catalyst for the stock in the next 12 months mm-hmm. okay um number two sofi sofi is crushing it uh, i'm looking mm-hmm. at their operating metrics i'm looking at their search interest i'm looking at web traffic mm-hmm. i'm looking at the app downloads uh they're absolutely crushing it the nfl season has been a huge tailwind for them in terms of brand awareness mm-hmm. uh I think that stock and company are doing completely fine. Student loan moratorium ends in three months. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a huge revenue tailwind comes back into the fold in 2023, probably around the same time the Fed is going to pivot, probably Mm -hmm. around the same time yields are going to collapse, probably around the same time the macro environment just gets better. Again, this is a stock that could really work wonders in 2023. Double, triple, quadruple in 23, totally possible. That's how cheap the stock is right now, especially Mm -hmm. if you throw in more growth firepower with student loan moratorium cancellation, which you will throw in uh, undoubtedly. So love what's going on with SoFi. And then Neo so is, is SoFi getting hit like Open Door right now? No, it's it, it's getting hit, but not like Open Door. Open Door mm-hmm. is is uniquely getting hit because of the housing market exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, SoFi okay. doesn't have housing market exposure. It has mm-hmm. credit market exposure, mm-hmm. and it has financial market exposure uh, and consumer spending exposure. So mm-hmm. uh, and loan exposure. So it does have unique risk verti- risk exposure that mm-hmm. is creating weakness in the stock. But the housing market right now is like the most, it's the riskiest of the risky Mm -hmm. um, set of phenomena in the market right now. So anything (laughs) exposure to that is getting hit uniquely hard. So far Mm -hmm. it's getting hit, but not as hard as open door. Okay. Simply doesn't have that much. It does have mortgage exposure, but very Mm -hmm. compared to its other business lines. So that's a SoFi story. And then uh, Neo, Neo is unique because China has become just such a wild card that's differentiated from the global economy. The rest of the economy is hiking rates like crazy. They're providing stimulus to their economy. Um, I don't know what's going on with the COVID policy. I, it's very weird. So, like, there's just a massive black box of the Chinese economy right now. Having said that, Neo is in the process of expanding beyond China and becoming more than a China story. They successfully mm-hmm. done European expansion. They're probably going to have North American expansion probably in 2023 or 2024. So the more they become a global EV story, the better the stock will do. Mm-hmm. And the less investors will view it as a China risk story and more as a global growth story. So gotcha. I think that transition does happen over the next 12 to 24 months. I think the stock is really cheap down in the mid-teens. So I would be a buyer down here, and I think the stock goes a lot higher over the next 12 to 24 months. All right. So that's our check-in on SoFi Neo and Open Door. Um, that kind of wraps everything for this week. Uh, you know, great insights for our listeners as always. Any last words before we wrap today? You know, Aaron, I just yes. The last word being <laughs> what we have to do right now is brace for near-term volatility and understand mm-hmm. that we need that near-term volatility to get to the other side of this. Uh, yeah. this dark period, this market mm-hmm. crash. There's no such thing as a bear market. That ends without capitulation. Mm-hmm. In order to get capitulation, you need a final flushing. You need mm-hmm. a grand finale sell-off. And like I said, typically that's quantified as a 20% drawdown in 15 days. We need that. Mm-hmm. 
it's going to be scary when it happens. People are going to panic. Real fear is going to set in. Uh, it, it, it's kind of feeling that way right now. You know, the S and P is making new lows. I'm looking at 36.30 right now. The June lows are 36.50. Mm-hmm. We've been in a real crash over the past two weeks, so it feels like we're getting that. Mm-hmm. But we need more. We mm-hmm. need more. We're only down 12, 13 percent from the 15 day high. We need to go to 20. Mm-hmm. We need to take more more uh, froth off the table, and then we can rebound. So understand that whatever sell-off does come over the next two to three weeks, maybe month, mm-hmm. that's the sell-off we need mm-hmm. to rally. We need that sell-off in order to enter a new bull market. Without it, we're just going to keep dying death by a thousand paper cuts. And that's been the awful thing about this bear market, right? I mean, mm-hmm. why was the 2020 yeah. bear market so, I'm not going to say fun, but so much mm-hmm. better than this? Because we did all of the selling in like 20 or 30 days. <laughs> we yeah. topped off in late February and we bottomed out in late March. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. We did all the selling in 30 days. It was steep. It was miserable for those 30 mm-hmm. days. We dropped like 30, 35%. But then it was done. Mm-hmm. We just ripped the whole bandaid off and it was over. The reason 2022 has sucked is because it's been just 2%, 2%, mm-hmm. 2%, 1%, 2%. One, it's just the, it's just like constantly small little paper cuts, and mm-hmm. now we're bleeding out. It's like Jesus, like come on. So we really are rooting for what would be an acceleration of the sell-off to a point mm-hmm. of it bottoming. Um, and until we get that, we don't think we bottom. So uh, brace for near-term volatility, brace for a short-term crash, but understand that on the other side of that is a bottom and is a brave new rally in 2023 that could be very, very large given where valuations are and where yields could be by the time the Fed pivots. So um, short-term bearish, but long-term could not be more constructive on the opportunities we're seeing in the market for the next 12 to 24 months. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. Please, if you have any questions or comments for Luke, leave them in our comments section. We'd love to hear your feedback on any topics you'd like us to cover and see if we can answer any of your burning questions. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. And again, we will be off next week, but back in two weeks with another insightful episode of HGI. Until then, bye all. 